Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm Jess. And I'm Regan, and this is You Pick, We Watch, the podcast where you pick the movie and we take a deep dive into it, learning everything we can about your recommendation. Today we're talking about the 1988 film, The Beast of War. Yeah, um, this is our first 80s movie in a while, I think, right? Yeah, and I think it's our first war movie. Yes, it's definitely our first war movie. Um, if we, as long as you don't count Starship Troopers. Yeah. <laughs> okay, our second war movie. Sorry, our um, second war movie based on actual accounts, just like Starship yeah. Troopers was, of course. Exactly. Um, yeah, I'm just going back through ours real quick, just to make sure. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's. I mean, Sky Captain in the World Tomorrow was kind of a war movie, too, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is our first true real war movie. And uh, it does not hold back at all. So, yeah, I was going to ask you what what your initial impression was, but I'll just say, like, this movie gets about as serious as a heart attack, like, right as it starts. Yeah. Um... That's exactly what I thought. And uh, with war movies comes animal death. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> the first question I asked you was how many animals die? <laughs> um, and yeah, so if you are right from the bat, if you are squeamish about that, uh, just be aware there is there is some death. Um, one scene's kind of like you can tell it's fake, but anyway. Um, I was like wow, they're just really going to roll into this little village with women and children and take it out. And I guess that's what uh, war was for them. I got some clarification just trying to find trivia um, after that. Apparently, they were rolling into that village to, like, destroy it because they were harboring uh, Mujahideen fighters there. Mm -hmm. But I didn't exactly know that in the beginning, so... Yeah, yeah, it doesn't pull any punches. Like it just, it just goes for it. Um, we'll get when we get to the trivia. I have some more stuff on this war, uh, too, because I didn't really. I still don't really know what the war was about and who were the good guys and who were the bad guys. Um, even after reading a little bit about it, so we'll get into that later, and maybe you can shed some light on it because you're more of a history person than me. Sure. Uh, before we dive too deep into it, uh, the only news that I have is they released the teaser for Obi-Wan, mm. the, the Disney Plus show. They sure did. Um, and I haven't got to watch it yet, but Ooh. give me your thoughts. Oh, uh, well, as soon as I heard Duel of the Fates, you know, that that like iconic prequel symphony song like that that really got me so (laughs) lots of nostalgia but also interesting new characters um i it was taking me a second to remember where in the timeline that this i think it's going to be a mini series i don't know if they're going to do like a second season or whatever with it but um 
I forgot that it's like just after Revenge of the Sith or a little little ways after that and before you know he obviously <laughs> dies on the Death Star so uh, yeah. yeah this is not at the same time as the Mandalorian I believe it, I think it's before it's after, I, I want to say it's after the Mandalorian right before the Mandalorian before the Mandalorian yeah um, it's definitely before Rogue One. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think it's just, it takes place between the prequel trilogy and the Mandalorian, like Rogue One. Like everything that has to do with the fall of the Empire, it's it's still before that when it's, you know, kicking, alive and kicking. Okay. Um. Here we go. So, uh, no, that's so okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I have two pieces of news. Um, (laughs) I just found out that the series finale of Peaky Blinders is going to premiere on Netflix or drop on Netflix June 10th, and then Moon Knight is premiering at the end of March. Nice. Um, I did some quick Googling and my computer finally caught up. So, this is what we've got. Um, Solo take the movie Solo takes place sometime between thirteen and ten BBY, and Kenobi uh, is going to take place ten years after Revenge of the Sith, which took place in nineteen BBY, making the Kenobi show set in the year nine BBY. In other words, Kenobi takes place almost immediately after Solo in the Star Wars timeline. So. Hmm. When does Mandalorian take place? Let's find out what year. Okay. So takes place in 9 ABY. So um Mandalorian takes place after A New Hope. Yes. So yeah, way before. This takes place way uh kenobi takes place way before mando so yeah unlikely for any crossovers yeah no baby yoda in this one (laughs) um that's cool um yeah there wasn't a lot of news this week um we've got i was trying to think of what the award show is coming up i think the oscars are coming yeah, I think I, them. I think that's about a, a week or two away. Is that right? Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll discuss the Oscars. We'll maybe uh, we'll do um, we'll take a little chunk out of our episode that falls after that and talk about the Oscars a little bit. Cool. I'm hoping in the meantime I'll actually be able to watch some of the nominated movies. I've got a list of like five nominated <laughs> movies I actually want to see. Have not started a single one of them. No. Like time gets away. We've both been really busy the last couple of weeks, so. Oh yeah. Um, I could not think of a get to know you question that pertained to war at all. <laughs> <laughs> so. Fair. Um, I don't really have that segment for us today. Um, so we'll move right into our overview, which 
when I first looked at the cast of this, I was like, Soviet? Really? Are we <laughs> sure? Uh, but yeah, it is a Soviet tank and its warring crew become separated from their patrol and lost in an Afghan valley with a group of vengeance-seeking rebels on their tracks. Pretty yeah. accurate. Um, the tank is almost a character itself. Yeah. I was... So, as far as impressions go, throughout the whole movie, I was getting a lot of vibes that reminded me of Fury from Brad Pitt's movie from 2014. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see that? No, I didn't. Oh, that's a hell of a movie. But, yeah, it's, uh, I think you're absolutely right saying that the tank is almost a character itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, my initial reaction to this was that this is a man's man war movie through and through. <laughs> um, it's gritty. Um, I like that it gave almost both points of view. So you got the Afghan rebel point of view. Um, you got the Soviets point of view. And you actually you get the tanks point of view quite a bit as well. Um, so to me to see that it kind of gave a well-rounded story. Whether And it doesn't give you like this side's right, this side's right. It just lets it play out. And I kind of like that. Yeah, that's that's actually my my favorite types of movies are movies that do that. They're not trying to stand up on a soapbox or, you know, point you in a specific direction mm-hmm. um, to make the water even more muddier. Um, I like how there was like division between both sides too. like with the Mujahideen. There is kind of like uh, a soft power struggle kind of going on between the new Khan and his cousin. And then in mm-hmm. the tank crew, you have like who I guess I'll call him the main character is kind of at odds with the captain of the crew. Yeah. Um, both sides definitely make decisions that are questionable. Yeah. Within, but without ever being to war, like you have to tr- take that the filmmakers were like, okay, this is what I feel like the struggle would be. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about this cast. I really, the only person I knew by name was obviously Stephen Baldwin. Um, Same. <laughs> who, I mean, Stephen Baldwin playing a Russian. He's white. I guess that works. <laughs> He's um, white and that's what counts, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then the only other one I knew by looks was Eric Avari, who plays the... Uh, Afghan on the Russian side who's part of the Communist Party and that's because he was in The Mummy. Yeah, same. (laughs) It's weird to see him with color in his hair. Yeah. Um, But overall, I think the cast was uh, it was a very good cast. Like the guy that played um, the commander uh, what was his name? I wrote it down. Oh, Daskal George Zunza? Zunza. Yeah, Daskal, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he played that role extremely well. Um, The the slow descent into... uh, I'd say paranoia, almost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And it's coming from somebody that... There's a scene where he talks about what he did in World War II as an eight-year-old and like what that can probably do to somebody... Um, I think he played that very well. Oh, yeah. 
he I, I would say everyone kind of commits, but he really committed to this role. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it was mostly white people. Um, the Afghans are not most. I don't think all of them are true Afghanis. I think you have some Indian and um, other people in there. Yeah, I I can't remember where they filmed it, but I know that they they got a lot of practical things from Israel. So I think yeah. a lot of the a lot of the like extras and people were Israeli. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Um. So. You know, it, if you can overlook that in the casting, which back in the 80s, that's what you did. You just dealt with that. Um, I think overall it was pretty good. So Yeah. Um, so before we dive too deep, there wasn't a lot of trivia on this, but before we dive too deep into it, here's some background on the Soviet-Afghan War. Um, from, it lasted from 1979 to 1989. Um, There was a conflict wherein insurgent groups known collectively as the uh, Mujahideen, as well as smaller Marxist, Leninist, and Maoist groups, um, fought a nine-year guerrilla war against the Democratic Republic of Afghanistan and the Soviet Army um, throughout the 80s, mostly in the Afghan countryside. Before we move on from that statement, let's kind of define those groups. Republic of Afghanistan is almost like the Democratic Republic of China. It's a communist group. Um, so it's not really democratic in our sense, but that's what they say. And I have been out of school too long to know what Marxist, Leninists, and Maoists are, but I know those people. So Regan, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, those are just like followers of the ideologies of like state leaders or like uh, Mao Zedong in China or uh, Lenin in Russia and Marxists being like the one of the I think the co-inventor of the modern idea of communism back in like the 1800s um, yes. yeah <laughs> but this is also another weirdly um, I don't know it's it sounds very similar to what's going on right now where it's like russia invading another country and then you have the resistance groups that are being supplied by the u.s and other countries that are opposed to that happening yep um you have it exactly right um and we're not going to get really into what's happening today because that is what it is (laughs) yeah Uh, the Mujahideen were uh, variously backed primarily by, obviously, the United States, Pakistan, Iran, Saudi Arabia, China, and the United Kingdom, um, which is weird just considering how close China and Russia are now. But times change. Yeah, they, they had a falling out in the 70s, I think, like well after Vietnam. Um, I can't remember exactly what that was about, but that's when they weren't like they were sort of friends nominally friends because they're both communist but their goals were very different mm-hmm. um the conflict was a cold war era proxy war um which probably because the russia and the united states couldn't fight each other they kind of fought 
you know, in other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, between 562,000 and 2 million Afghans were killed, and millions more fled as country, the country as refugees, mostly to Pakistan and Iran. It's estimated that between 6.5 and 11.5% of Afghanistan's population is estimated to have perished in the conflict. Um, the war gave destruction to Afghanistan and has also been cited by scholars as a contributing factor to the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War, in hindsight leaving a mixed legacy to people in both territories. Um, the foundations of this conflict were laid by the Saar Re- Revolution and 1978 coup wherein Afghanistan's Communist Party took power, initiating a series of radical modernization and land reforms throughout the country. These reforms were deeply unpopular among the more traditional rural population established and established power structures, uh, which they kind of talk about in this movie a little bit. The, um, the guy from The Mummy is a Russian communist and he says, look, we need, I'm trying to show them that technology is the way. And once we have that, we'll be just as good as these other countries. But they were so traditionalists that they didn't want to do that. Yeah. He was a Afghan communist. Yeah. That's what I meant. That's what uh, I meant. Yeah. The repressive nature of the democratic Republic, which vigorously suppressed opposition and executed thousands of political prisoners led to the rise of the anti-government armed groups. By April 1979, large parts of the country were were in open rebellion. That's from Wikipedia, so that's just hopefully somebody fact-checked that somewhere. (laughs) It it does sound vaguely on the money. Yeah. So, if you're still confused about what happened and who the good guys and bad guys are, um, you can learn on that on your own. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things where literally the deeper you go into any historical event, the more confusing and like the muddier the water gets. Yeah, exactly. So let's. With that being said, and we have a, a kind of background. Uh, what's some trivia from this movie? Well, um, I did. See, I had a very specific um, <laughs> piece of trivia I wanted to start off with, and I completely forgot that I didn't like highlight it or anything. <laughs> okay, so um, the various weapons used throughout the film, including the RPG, are all authentic Soviet weaponry captured by Israelis from Arab armies that used Soviet arms and were loaned to the film production by local armorers. So, however, the transport helicopter um, is intended to be Soviet, but it's actually a French one um, belonging to the Israeli Air Force. But I thought that was pretty cool that, you know, if, if you're making a movie and it's based on a certain, you know, culture or thing, to have actual, like, authentic pieces there to make that movie. Yeah. Um, do you have the one on the tank? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Piggyback off that, because the tank one's pretty cool, too. Yeah, so the, the tank used in the movie, the titular beast, is an authentic Soviet T-55 that was captured by the Israeli Defense Force during the Arab-Israeli conflicts, although it was modified by the Israelis and redesignated, um, including changing, like, the, the gun on it. 
The film's military advisor, Dale Dye, said that he negotiated the purchase of the tank over drinks with the Israeli Defense Force officers at a Tel Aviv hotel. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's pretty cool. Um, (laughs) The tank was much roomier on the inside than uh, I thought it was. Yeah, it's like it's still kind of claustrophobic, but yeah, you have to be able to fit like I think I think tank crews generally are five people. So you have to have at least enough space to fit five. And the views from inside the tank were pretty uh, interesting. It's not a camera angle I've really ever seen before. A lot of tank movie or war movies. Um, How does this compare in your war movie history? Well, I, I I almost feel like I need to pitch us watching Fury after this because they <laughs> use a lot of the same type of like camera angles and shots because, you know, tanks are tanks. Um, it's I, I'm always surprised by like how much storage there is in that place because you see the person loading. I, I don't know, not the gunner, but the person like loading shells into the tank barrel like you have to have room for ammunition and supplies and all kinds of stuff within the actual body of the tank as, as well as like on the outside. But I'm just, I'm always surprised with how much stuff you can fit into a tank. Yeah. I was surprised at that as well. And just like the overall like feel of the tank and how, as it kept getting worse and worse for them, like how much that tank actually kept going. Which I don't know if it would in real life, but that may have just been movie magic. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's I feel like there's always machines like any Toyota owner that you've ever met will tell you like those things will run well over the expected mileage. And then you might have something that is brand new that dies like the following year. You know, it's it's always a gamble with machinery. Yeah, accurate. Um. So although this is a movie, uh, in the original movie, the one that we watched, uh, a lot of the actors use military, American military lingo and commands, um, which obviously is out of place for Soviet soldiers. Um, the Hungarian version of this movie corrected a lot of those errors and added authentic Warsaw Pact jargon and commands, which, Reagan, what's the Warsaw, Warsaw Pact? The Warsaw Pact is essentially um, Russian NATO. So, like, rather than having it be, like, an alliance of independent countries like NATO, the Warsaw Pact was, like, satellite countries that Russia had set up puppet governments in. So they were kind of, like, more directly under Moscow as opposed to, like, NATO. Gotcha. Um, I assume that's not in effect anymore. (laughs) <laughs> no, no. When the yeah. Soviet Union collapsed, all that kind of went the way of the cowboy. All right, good. Uh, interestingly, uh, the tank commander repeatedly calls sh- uh, shrapnel shell cartax, which is an outdated word for grape shot, which I assume is a tank word or something. Yeah. Grape shot <laughs> is actually a naval term for like, uh, it's essentially. A bunch of uh, loading a a cannon like a shotgun, you know, with a bunch of like smaller, um, like lead balls, like maybe the size of your fist or something. Yeah. 
And ladies and gentlemen, this is why we have Regan here. I could talk about this stuff for days. <laughs> uh, I knew you'd carry this episode. <laughs> <laughs> also, something I appreciated that I, I didn't really pick up on right away, but reading this, I'm, I'm, it's kind of reminding me of how well they... Uh, also a lot of effort went into this movie as you can tell like details for stuff for increased realism the uh, blank shells for the tank were actually modified to fire water um, out of the barrel which caused recoil like the same type of recoil that a tank would have if it fired a live shell yeah I always find it amazing in war movies like how they have the explosions um go off without really anybody getting hurt too bad you know like that that kind of movie magic kind of blows my mind <laughs> i i can't really explain that either you know because they old especially older movies like ones in the 60s or something world war ii movies they use like a lot of explosions and i'm surprised that like the film crew doesn't have a body count of their own I wonder if they do when it's all been covered up by Hollywood. Yeah, could be. Ooh, Hollywood mystery. <laughs> the dark side of Hollywood. <laughs> um, so this might... I found something that might uh, give us an explanation as to why we had such a hard time kind of finding this movie to begin with, like, to watch it. Um, when the film started at Columbia Pictures, which, by the way, loved that old school... Uh, hmm. Columbia Pictures logo happening. It was so like retro. I loved it. Um, David Putnam was the head of the studio, but by the time it was released, Putnam uh, was out and Don Steele was the head. And as a result, the film only released in a small number of theaters and under a different title uh, called The Beast. I don't know what the original title was, um, but that might be why we had such a hard time finding this movie. Yeah, and if anyone is interested in actually watching the movie after hearing this episode, um, it is on Amazon Prime until, I believe, the end of the month. Nice. Uh, I own it. I had it to buy it on DVD, and I bought it like when this was requested because I was like, this looks like a hard movie to find, so I'm going to buy it just in case, it, or for when it gets pulled. So. I mean, that's a good call. <laughs> we, yeah. we almost watched two separate movies. Yeah. <laughs> It would have been hilarious. <laughs> um, um, it, you mentioned um, George. He's got a just a difficult last name for me to pronounce. It's like Zunza, uh, the captain of the tank crew. Uh, the actor apparently campaigned hard for the role um, and went on a heavy diet and workout routine prior to filming and lost over 50 pounds for the role, which I think that's that's dedication. Yeah, um, and it shows, like we talked about, he definitely gave his all in this movie, and uh, I think it, it worked out really well. And I, I'm just kind of realizing right now, um, he's probably like the central antagonist of the movie. Like, he's not like a cartoonish villain or anything, but he's, if you had to label one person as the bad guy in the movie, definitely him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely him. Him over any of the rebels. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any anything like mm -hmm. everything he does is awful in my mind 
(laughs) (laughs) pretty much um another thing about this movie and this isn't really trivia just something that i noticed um the environment is also a character in my mind as well just how like there's nothing so when you're stuck out there with nothing you really have absolutely nothing except like maybe the cover of a mountain if you're there i was trying to figure out where were they were finding the wood for the fires hmm yeah yeah that's a good call i mean i i know there are trees somewhere in that country but (laughs) it's it's also a lot of like rocky desolation over large like parts of it yeah it actually looks shockingly similar to flying into phoenix like there's also a lot of like really rocky hills and sand and yeah yeah um i don't have too much more i just really have the budget and the uh, what else came out in 1988 cuz there wasn't a too much on this um but gotcha i just have two more things here um so this film was actually written by uh, William Mastro. Jeez, another <laughs> really interesting last name, Mastro Simone. Uh, which I actually thought this was going to be based on a book, but it's based on a play that he wrote as well. I didn't expect that. Yeah, I saw that in the beginning that it was based on the play Nanawate, right? Mm. Which is the word that they use. Um, like if somebody said, it's almost like. Oh, what's that other movie with the word? I can't remember. It's almost like almost like parlay in Pirates yes, of the Caribbean. Yes, thank you. That's exactly what I was trying to think. <laughs> I knew we were going down that road. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's almost like that. Um, the, the last little fact is actually from a friend of mine who was stationed in Afghanistan. And he said that while he was there up in the mountains... Um, he saw a old Soviet era tank that had been destroyed, but was re like, they somehow pushed it up a mountain to be like a monument almost. And he still says he has no idea how they got it up there. Cause those things are heavy. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's nuts. Um, Okay, so this had a budget of $8 million. Um, I'm assuming most of that budget went to uh, artillery, uh, pyrotechnics, part of that, um, maybe the tank. Um, Because there's not a lot. It's, It's really just the people against the environment and each other. There's not like sets that needed to be built. Um, nothing like that. So I thought that was a pretty hefty budget for 1988, uh, for not really having pretty much taking place in one scene almost. Um, and then the, it only grossed $161,000. So, uh, as we said, when Don Steele took over, she only, they only released it. What a name is that, too, by the way? John Steele? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, it was only released in a small number of theaters, so um, they took a heavy loss on that. Um, just some other stuff that came out in 
were Good Morning Vietnam. There's a war movie. Um, I think the 80s were kind of heavy with war movies, 70s and 80s, in my opinion. Um, Young Guns, Cocktail, Nightmare on Elm, Elm Street 4, Halloween 4, Child's Play, uh, Land Before Time, Twins, and Rain Man. Okay. So, not the eighties. The eighties were a weird time, man. <laughs> Some of those movies are pretty good and like highly regarded, and then it seems like the other half are like, <laughs> like yeah, sequels to horror movies. Well, okay, so we had Police Academy Five, which really, but anyway, <laughs> the fifth sequel of that, Friday the Thirteenth. Part 7, so the seventh part of that. Crocodile Dundee 2, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, like I said, and Halloween 4. Uh, so, and Naked Gun files from the files of Police Squad, I think that was a sequel <laughs> too. Big year sequels. Yeah, almost like we're living in now. So, <laughs> Which begs the question, do things ever really change? <laughs> History repeats itself. <laughs> uh, One of my thoughts of Mark Twain, he said that history doesn't repeat itself, it only rhymes. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's oh, such that's a dope cool. quote. <laughs> yeah. Uh, real quick, too. The, uh, there were no weird ratings. It's actually not rated in a bunch of countries. But one that um, pulled, uh, stood out to me was West Germany. because West Germany mm. obviously doesn't exist anymore. Um, and it was 18, but even in countries that we've come to know and where like, they're a little more lenient. Um, it was, it's like United Kingdom had an 18, Australia had an M, Ireland had an 18, uh, Canada were the lenient ones at 14 A. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, so yeah. Uh, now we have reached the part of our podcast where we give our final thoughts, and you find out whether we give this movie two thumbs up, two thumbs down, or anything in between. Um, I think I'm going to go first because I feel like we should end on a more high note. And I feel like <laughs> you will give a high note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but you might be surprised by me. Uh, I think that Daskal, the main, the commander guy in the tank, is such a dick. <laughs> he is an awful human being um and this is definitely a gritty war movie um and i think it does a good job at showing what war can do to like an egomaniac or somebody that has been in a warlike situation for most of his life um the camera shots inside the tank are really great the vastness of the desert is amazing. It really shows kind of like what these countries went through during this war. I can appreciate the cinematography and uh, what the crew must have gone through to film this. Um, let's just talk about real quick too. Right at the beginning, there is a pretty horrendous scene with a tank and a guy. Um, and I had to look away. I don't even know how much they showed, but... <laughs> With his feet underneath that tank wheel, 
that yeah. just grossed me out. <laughs> they they didn't show a lot, but they showed enough. Yeah. Um, overall, if you are a war or history person, you probably will enjoy this. Um, if you're not, then I would say probably skip it. It is for a very specific group of people that will be on board. Um, it's It does do a good job about not really telling you which way was right or like having an agenda. It kind of just shows a very specific point in time, a very specific battle um, and a moment in time in that war. So I appreciated that. Um, I, I am going to give this one thumb up because it did all the execution around the movie was really great. How the characters reacted and uh, how they had their roles were really great. It's just not my type of movie. So I probably would never watch it again. Um, but that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. So I, I'm going to give it one thumb up. Nice. Nice. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. I think that, the way the movie was executed was done very well. Um, I think it was also like written well, shot well, but it had a... So I, I'll say the runtime isn't really huge with this. I think it's an hour and 40 minutes-ish. Yeah. After and... seeing Batman, this was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a topic for another time. But... Um... Yeah, it's a pretty streamlined movie. The goals and objectives are both like they're very clear. You know, the tank gets lost. What they have to do or what they want to do is hook back up with the rest of the column and get to safety. Um, I think that there's like on every level of this movie, there's an interesting amount of conflict, which really kept me engaged into this. I was expecting to put this movie on in the background and maybe like work while i was doing it but that was not happening i was i was like glued to this movie because you have like the mujahideen people that are you know on the verge of shooting each other you have the russian tank crew fighting with each other and then you have the tank it's you have you essentially have the crew fighting against the tank too because it's running out of gas it's leaking oil and suddenly has no brake fluid and it's it's very engaging, I'll say. I think that um, there's there's a lot of things in this movie done well. The only complaint, like I think the only complaint I had for the entire run of this movie is that sometimes when par- when characters scream or yell to each other, it's very high pitched and kind of annoying. But if that's your only like complaint for a movie, then I think that's pretty good. Um, I like this a lot more, like a lot more than I expected to, because I'd never heard of it. So I'm going to give this uh, two thumbs up with the caveat that, like you said, this movie is not going to be for everyone. But if you like war movies and if you like, I, I'm not sure I'd call this a thriller, but it is a pretty thrilling movie. Um, in my opinion, I would say it's for you. If you don't meet those two like criteria there, it's probably not for you. Nice. Uh, I think that's really surprising considering neither of us had heard of this movie. And it's not a movie I would go out of my way to watch. Um, it's something you probably would have. 
um, if you had known about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad that it ended up being something out of my wheelhouse that I could see. That's why, and that's again why I really enjoy doing this with you, because there are movies neither of us would watch on our own unless we're forced to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and what I love is sometimes it surprises you, like cockneys versus zombies i'd never heard of that before and based <laughs> on that title i'm like okay great so this is gonna suck and then i end up loving it who would have thought yep. exactly um so yeah it was great thanks nick for sending that in for us to watch um freshie on discord uh my buddy doug uh he recommended recommended us to watch uh studio 666 um hmm. It's that Foo Fighters movie, I believe, about a demonic recording studio. Oh, yeah. Uh, have you watched it yet? No, but I've seen the okay. trailer and it just looks ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, he said that might be good using that term loosely. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll throw that on. Um, that's it for. Oh, wait. Actually, let me actually log into our email real quick. I forgot to do that. Because I think we got an email from Matt R. Oh, nice. So, let's see. Um, all right. Do you, are we spinning the wheel or do you have a movie that uh, has been on for a while that we're going to watch? Well, I was going to ask you about something, actually. Um, okay. Because I know of a movie that's very similar to this, I was wondering if you wanted to check out Fury, or given the fact that you might not be into, you know, war movies or graphic violence, if you might want to skip that. Um, no, I think we can watch it because I'm a fan of Brad Pitt. So okay, um, I say we go for it and see that. So I'm going to put that on there. Yep, we did get an email from Matt R. And he said, hi, guys, I have a classic. That's the right. Is that the right term? Question mark (laughs) movie. Uh, I just saw and would love to hear uh, you guys do an episode on it. Don't worry. It's not Harry Potter, (laughs) too. Thank (laughs) you, Lord, Matt. Um, It's Bloodsport. That movie is so badass. Thanks and keep up the good work, Matt. And. Honestly, Bloodsport has been on my list since the beginning of quarantine. And I bought it and I just haven't had the time to like put it in. So we have it and we can uh it'll we'll get watching it one day. Right on. I I only know references from that movie about <laughs> you know, it's like how when The Matrix came out, there were a ton of like references and other movies to that. I feel like yep. the same thing with like nineties comedies always referencing Bloodsport. Yeah, I I agree. I feel like there's a um a scene in Hot Shots Part Two yeah. <laughs> that it has it. You've <laughs> seen. You're the only other person I know who's seen that movie. I've seen that movie so many times. I think I still and, have it on DVD. Yeah, I have it, and I don't care what anybody says. That's a fantastic movie. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them are. Yeah, I don't think I've seen the first one, honestly. Oh, it, I mean, it mostly rips off uh, Top Gun, but it's yeah. it's just as funny. Uh, yeah, it's just as funny. Um, 
The nineties were a great time for uh, spoof movies. <laughs> Into the early two thousands, and then they sucked. I was gonna say, like the nineties and movies that Mel Brooks does, I feel are my exact type of like parody humor you know where it's like it's really stupid things but written very smartly (laughs) yep cleverly that's the word i was going for yeah okay um so yeah we put those on so and yeah i'm totally up for watching fury for next week for episode 68 (laughs) i was gonna say i don't usually hijack the podcast but it's too similar a movie to ignore in my opinion i'm down i think it'll be great so with that, I think that's all we got for you today. So uh, go ahead and take us out. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Next week, we're going to discuss Fury. Uh, remember, you can help select the next movie that goes on our list by emailing the podcast at youpickwewatch at gmail.com. You can also message us and or follow us through Facebook, Twitter, Discord, Letterbox. Any way we can get a, if you send a homing pigeon with a note on it, we will add that movie to the wheel. Heck yeah. Um, and I'll just say again, we are going to prioritize older movies on our list that we've gotten because I don't want anything to, you know, fall by the wayside. But I'm Regan. You can find me on Facebook and at Author Regan Brooks. And I'm Jess. You can find me on Twitter and Twitch and in the Discord at RadMadMal. Um, and yeah, we're going to have uh, it's been a good year so far, so I'm excited. So thank you everybody yeah. for listening. Um, thanks for your, if you're on Spotify, remember you can uh, rate you can rate it now. It's really quick. It pops up because I did it for one of the other ones I listened to, and it's like rate right on your main page. So just a quick little click and you're good. So <laughs> I, I have also discovered that you can't rate a podcast on Spotify that you haven't listened to at least part of an episode first, which I thought was interesting. But yeah, just note if it doesn't work, that's why. Yeah. Um, And I think that's good because you want people that like are listening. And if you have constructive feedback, we'll we'll take it. Will we listen? I don't know, but we'll take it. I don't think we've ever been accused of being organized on this (laughs) program, but I mean, if anyone does have notes, uh, yeah, sure. Right? Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, guys. We appreciate you. And uh, we'll see you next week.